Hello, everyone. Lee Arnold here with another country music conversation. This week is both emotional and sentimental, as we reminisce and remember Charlie Pride. But before we start this conversation, here are a few words from our sponsor. Country Music Conversations with Lee Arnold's podcast is made possible by our sponsor, MarketSmith, Inc., the digital media agency that's been growing brands like Toomey, Shark Ninja, New Jersey Lottery, PSE&G, Blue Mercury Cosmetics, and Dick Sporting Goods. You know what makes this agency so good at what they do? Because simply being a marketing agency is no longer enough. Solution-based, problem-solving, and ever-evolving, they create enduring value for DTC and B2B brands by opening up and growing marketing channels. Their patented AI offerings, informed by human intelligence, allow them to act with agility and intellect. I was speaking with the CEO not too long ago, and she was saying they take on clients who know who they are, who want to grow, and clients that know what they want. These big brands choose MarketSmith because they want to merge with a partner who'll make them exceptional and an agency that will grow their revenue. Digital marketing is not easy, but MarketSmith Inc. knows when to make the media dollars work hard for their clients. You have a brand you want to grow? Well, contact MarketSmith.com and tell them Lee Arnold sent you. He was not just a country superstar, but a 55-year-long-time friend. We both got our start in country music around the same time. Both on and off mic, Charlie was the same person. He had me from hello. Warm, smart, engaging, funny, and loyal. We had many conversations through the years, and our bond as buddies was very strong. In 2018, Charlie called me and asked if I would attend his 25th anniversary at the Grand Old Opry, which I did, and enjoyed another weekend with him at his fan club breakfast and other events. What an impact he had in the world of country music. Charlie was born in Sludge, Mississippi, the fourth of 11 children of poor sharecroppers. When he was 14, his mother bought him his first guitar, which he taught himself to play. Although he loved music, his lifelong dream was to be a professional baseball player. His baseball resume includes pitching for the Memphis Red Sox of the Negro American League and the Boise Yankees. His baseball career was interrupted when he was drafted into the Army, and upon discharge, he had tryouts with the New York Mets and the California Angels. He moved to Helena, Montana to work construction and also pitched for the local semi-pro team. He ended up with a job at the local lead smelter, and on weekends, he played gigs in the local area, both solo and with a band. He was encouraged to join the music business by Red Sovine and Red Foley, who he met when they were appearing locally. His break came in 1966, when Chet Atkins heard a demo of his and signed Charlie to RCA. His first producer was Jack Clement, with whom he had many hits, and later 
Jerry Bradley became his producer, and after that, Blake Mevis. In 1966, when he appeared at Olympia Stadium in Detroit, he broke the ice by saying, quote, Friends, I realize it's a little unique for me coming out here with a permanent suntan to sing country and western, but that's the way it is, unquote. From the late 60s to the late 80s, Charlie racked up 30 number one hits and 52 top 10 hits. He won CMA Entertainer of the Year in 1971 and was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 2000. His biggest hit and signature song is Kiss an Angel Good Morning. In 1994, Charlie released his biography titled The Charlie Pride Story. In 2020, he received the Willie Nelson Lifetime Achievement Award from the CMA. Charlie was married to his wife, Rosine, in 1956, and they had three children, Dion, Craig, and daughter, Angela. Charlie was a fan and part owner of the Texas Rangers. But sadly, after receiving his Lifetime Achievement Award, Charlie died from complications of COVID-19 in Dallas on December 12, 2020. He was 86. The conversation we'll be listening to took place in 1974 and another one in 1987. It's a close and personal snapshot of someone whose legacy will live on for years to come. Here now, Charlie Pride. So good being with you again. Long time between visits. Charlie Pride is our guest today. Thank you, Lee. It's good to be back. 16 years, 38 albums, 50 singles, Grammy Awards by the dozens. How do you feel that you've changed since a song called The Snakes Crawl at Night? Well, I... I really don't think I've changed uh, as still loving the business and loving the people that I'm performing to. But my uh, the, the change I see is, the, is that I'm not able to spend any time with them like I used to at the early part of my career. It's, the more you get known and the bigger your career gets, the more you have to seem to uh, um, not be able to be with your fans and sign autographs and that sort of thing we used to do. And uh, I, I like it when someone say, hey, you, you're a big star, but you don't act like it, and that kind of, that kind of talk. That, so I, I'm just glad to hear those kind of remarks made. Um, I still love what I'm doing, and uh, I just don't think there's too much change other than I just don't have enough time. <laughs> That's always a demand, particularly at this point in your career when it's been going so great and consistently so good for so many years. Charlie, you've been, for the most part, a staunch traditional artist. What are your thoughts, basically, on what we call crossover country artists today? It's really a shorter route to success for many of them these days. Well, I'm going to tell you, and I truly believe this, uh, Lee, that it's been a misnomer in the sense of who's been trying to get to who over the years. Like, people have been talking about country singers trying to get over to M.O.R. and pop. I think it's the other way around. I think pop is, M.O.R. has been trying to get to us. And uh, I think they finally succeeded, um, especially uh, with, and, you know, and with the popularity of Hee Haw and, and on all the exposure of movies of, of Loretta and, 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 and uh, all the, you know, TV and it's just the exposure of country music. It's just, uh, it's, I think it's just a combination of all these factors meshing, coming together. See, I've always been a believer that 
what we're really talking about here is American music, and I think it consists of country, gospel, and the blues. Those are the three basic ingredients, and uh, of course, that's what I'm being asked my opinion, so that's my humble opinion about the situation. I think it's now that went full cycle from from uh, World War II when country music was big, and what I consider from the oldies, the stars, when I started listening, was Eddie Arnold and, and uh, Roy Acuff and Ernest Tubb, and right on through to Hank Williams, and of course, then... Uh, Elvis Presley came with Rockabilly, and then, of course, we had Fats Domino, Chuck Berry, the Everly Brothers, and then they went to England. And uh, I'm just trying to give you, uh, I guess, a composite thing about how, you know, the way I see it, how it all come together from, from the standpoint all the way up until this present time. The Beatles came over, and they admitted that they got, uh, uh, they were influenced by Fats Domino, Chuck Berry, Everly Brothers, and, and Chubby uh, Checker and the Twist, and all in that era, you know, and if you listen to some of their chord progressions, you can hear some of Chuck Berry's influence. So we went through Beatlemania and, and then Psychedelic and Wackadelic and all the other kind of delics and then uh, Punk Rock. I don't know all of some, so many different names they've called it, but uh, well, I think we've gone right back to the basics, and I think that's what, what it's all about, uh, this command, and I think that's it. You know, Charlie, there were times in your career when you complained of recording songs that you actually didn't want to do. Well, it, it was, and, and I still don't admit to what they are because a lot of my fans like uh, some of those songs that I did back at the early part of my career. And uh, so uh, I'd rather not specify which songs they were. But after I think about the third or fourth album, and, and, and I want to say this, Lee, that I'm glad that I had a strong producer like Jack Clement that uh, told me you know, what he thought was best because I had never been in a recording studio. Now, I've always felt good about material, about what I like, but in the sense that what I'm saying about a strong producer, that he was a man that respected my likes and dislikes of songs, but then he would tell me that this is good material, you know, and I, you know, and he would get me to record him, but he, we were good for each other for the time we were together, almost 10 years, and uh, I'm so I'm, I'm very happy that we got together because he helped me quite a bit in getting me launched in my career. He was a strong producer. It was a good association, too. It was an excellent marriage there for, for the time that you were together with Jack. That's right. <clears throat> you know, in your early days in country music, Charlie, even after your big success and the acceptance of the, of the public and the great selling records and your personal appearances, there were certain artists and certain people in the country music community in Nashville who still resented Charlie Pride's popularity. Well, you remember those little stories that used to, was going around in the trades and people would tell about the first time you met Farron. Well, well, yeah, but, but the, those, uh, but I want to, I want to say this, uh, Farron Young and I uh, have been close friends ever since I got in the business. It was pointed out that Farron might be of all, of any person, any people or any one person in the business that might would resent me uh, for coming into the country music field. It might would be Farron. But uh, did I ever tell you how we met? Well, let, let me... Tell us again, I know. Okay. Tell us again. Okay, well, when that was pointed out to me by my former manager that he thought maybe Farron might, uh, uh, might feel that way. But one night we were in, uh, in Nashville, so we looked for, my, or I guess the better part of half the night looking for Farron, and we found Farron in a, in a club uh, uh, down Music Row, they call Music Square now. And we walked in, and uh, he, as usual, he had the floor. He had a microphone and a tape recorder, had a bandana around his head, just 
singing and talking. And, and finally, my manager at the time was Jack Johnson, and he walked up and he said, Farron, I'd like you to meet Charlie Pride. And then there was kind of a silence. And he had told me the way he might meet me, he might turn around and just say, hey, you, you know, uh, give me a derogative name or something like that. But I, I, honest to goodness, he turned around, he says, hi. He said, uh, I think you sing a fine song. And I said, I think you do too, because I told Jack if he had turned around and give me some kind of derogative term, I would have called him something like a little banny rooster or something type. I would have come back at him with something, you know, because he's kind of small. And, and, uh, but but he, he, he turned that. And after we met and we sit there a while and we start singing, and this is the honest truth, this is the way he said it. He said, who would believe it? Fair and Young sitting here singing with a, with a black guy and enjoying it. He said, you know, I mean. That's the that, classic line of all time. Yeah. Sitting here and really enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, so that's really the way we met. That's no putting, that's no makeup. And we've been that ever since. Another one of those shocking situations, I mean, at least for the public, uh, occurred in the one time when you were in concert. Uh, and Willie Nelson actually called you on stage and gave you a great big kiss in front of a... Yeah, big... Willie used to call me, he had a name for him, he used to call me Super. That's, that was his thing when at the first part when we first got together. And, uh, you know, I was on, uh, that's why I tell a lot of people, I was on a lot of uh, people's show, and uh, everybody has to have some exposure, you know, in front of other artists that, uh, uh, that uh, of stature, where I can draw to people and then put smaller acts in front of them, so... Willie and Farron and, uh, of course, uh, Buck Owens and uh, uh, all, all these people. Marty Robbins, I was on front of the show with these people. And uh, so that's why I said when I, you know, got to a point to where I could have my own band and everything, if I could ever, you know, get a chance to have someone on my show, I'm going to try to make them sound as good as they can. And I've done that. You sure have. Charlie, you're very popular in Europe, Japan. How do audiences internationally compare with our country fans here in the States? Well, I'm fortunate enough, Lee, to be able to get the same type of rapport all around the world, and this is the truth. Uh, I'm, I'm well, very much so well-liked in, in Europe, and especially in England, Scotland, Ireland, and Norway and Sweden. And uh, I go over, and uh, this is the honest truth, but you could, we could put a tour on and, and say we're going over to to Europe, well, to England, Scotland, and Ireland. I'd be sold out in less time in two weeks. And uh, Australia, New Zealand, the same way. Canada. You love those fans, too, don't you? Well, true, because uh, I've worked and gone over to perform for them ever since I first started in the business. Uh, I started going over in 1968 after about three years in, in the business, or less than three years. So I built up a following at the early part. I didn't wait till I got to the point of my career at the... That's the success of it now to start. I started working and developing that at the same time I was in the States. We've seen you on a, quite a few television shows over the years and a lot more recently. How come you haven't had your own special yet? Well, uh, that's been talked about. We hope to do that next year. We, we're in the process at the end of this year to try to get my book launched. I want to get a book out. In fact, in fact we want to get it out in the next two or three years where I can be young enough to play the part when we do the movie from it. And I'll let my son do the Young part up until 25, and I'll take it from there on. Oh, that's fantastic. Everybody I know anxiously awaits that, Charlie. It should be a super show. And now here's more of our conversation with Charlie Pride. Charlie, you really know what it is to be given a break, having, you know, started the way you did and the great success and artistry you've enjoyed over the years. In turn, you turn around and introduce 
and helped the careers of many new artists in country music. People like David Sugar and Ronnie Millsap and Johnny Duncan, Gary Stewart and Janie Fricky and Sylvie and Earl Thomas Conley, who now opened your show. What originally got you interested in helping the young aspiring performer? Well, I just, as I said earlier when we were talking a moment ago, I, I noticed that everyone, as I said, needs someone to give them a, um, a chance to be exposed to the public. And uh, I'm fortunate enough to be able to draw uh, a good amount of people at all of my performances, and that gives art artists up front on my show a chance to get that much bigger exposure uh, than I had to do. I had to play a lot of clubs and a lot of nightclubs, and, and of course, I don't think Dave and Sugar uh, ever played too many nightclubs uh, during the time that they launched in their career. They were launched... Uh, uh, in three continents right off the bat. I mean, Australia, New Zealand, and uh, Europe, and Canada. So uh, as to, you know, me, as I said earlier, going and developing myself in these uh, European and, and uh, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, and the foreign countries, it, uh, it just fitted everything to get, you know, whoever I take, uh, expose them. They, they liked them. And I'm just fortunate enough to be involved have been involved with, with people that had tremendous talent. And uh, uh, I'm just, you know, I have no formula or secret formula or anything or no genie in a jug. It's just that I'm just uh, glad that uh, I had the privilege of being with these people and watching them. It's great, very gratifying to watch them go on beyond and do good. Got to give you a lot of personal satisfaction knowing you were there in the beginning to help, too. Baseball was your first career, Charlie. Do you plan to continue working out in spring training as you have in the past with the Rangers, Texas Rangers? Yes. Uh, the last two years, I haven't had a chance to because inflation set in, and I had to, with all of the um, increase in salaries and um, gasoline for the plane and pilot salary, the whole bit, expenses just uh, I had to go to work. At the time I was taken to go, to spring training, they said, well, you can go to spring training, but we're going to reach back in the profits that we made last year to meet payroll, and that kind of bothered me. So I said, I better go back to work. <laughs> but you probably will pick it up, I'm sure, maybe next year when things slacken up. I I'm going to try. In fact, I've already asked if they could just squeeze me in this year and let me go to spring training, my, my agent and everybody, and so I think they're going to try to do it. Great. What changes have you seen in really the level of songwriting over the years? Are the people and the young talent songwriters today of Nashville. Are they as good as the Ben Peters and uh, the Curly Putnams and all the other old-time great country songwriters in Nashville? I think so. Uh, you know, Kai Fleming and Dennis Morgan uh, have been fantastic writers in the last, uh, especially the last two or three, four years. And, uh, and as I was uh, saying, I, I've recorded... Uh, quite a number of their things, but Barbara Mandrell records most of their stuff, and of course Ronnie has recorded a number of things, but uh, if you, we were talking about a song that they wrote that Barbara recorded, I was country when country wasn't cool, which is, is getting to be a, a slogan now, you know, in the business, and uh, so I think, you know, I guess great songwriters, but just like trying to find a lot of great songs, you know, if it was a whole basket full of great songwriters out there would have more great songs, you know, than we do. Uh, so it's just not easy to write really great songs, no matter how good you are, you know. Uh, now, eventually, I'm sure that Ben Peters, as great as great a songwriter as he is, he's, he don't just put them out like 
before the next teardrop fall and uh, kiss an angel every time, you know, but I still love his writing. And of course, John Swears and, and uh, Kent Robbins, Kent Robbins I, I do love their writing. And uh, so uh, I think that uh, we're going to have, we're going to have better writers. We're going to have some more Christophersons and Ben Peters and, and, and that sort of thing. We're going to have some more. In fact, I'm going to do it some myself. I, You've only written one song, and that was a Christmas song. Right, but uh, i got a lot going on up in my head, Lee, and I, I'm going to take some time. How much can you do? I want to. I, I, I think I could be a good writer. I, it's just a matter, I think, of taking the time and trying to say what you want to say with the least amount of words. And I think I've just got to sit down and learn how to say what I want to say with the least amount of words. And that's, I think, that, I think, is the art of writing. And uh, I realize it's going to take me, but I feel once I get off the ground, write that one good when I'm gone. Charlie, between touring the road and working, recording your private business deals, your income yearly probably now is in the millions. And that really is a long way from picking cotton in Sledge, Mississippi. Have, have you lost perspective along the way? No, I don't think so. Um, again... As we were talking earlier, I like when people come up and, like, I go places, you know, I wear blue jeans and all, and I don't hardly dress too much uh, uh, when I'm off stage. I wear blue jeans and, and uh, baseball caps and that sort of thing. And I've had people that I would go in certain, be around certain places. Oh, and that, oh, that just, he just looks like him. That wouldn't be, he wouldn't be hanging around here. Or he wouldn't be in here and that sort of thing. So that got to tickle you. Yeah, well, it does because. And then when people say, you know, you're just like us. You're just human, too, you know. <laughs> so so I like that kind of thing. I said, yes, I have to get up and I have to eat, put my pants on, do the same thing. Charlie, what makes you happy these days? Well, a uh, whole bunch of things. Uh, you know, I look around and, and my kids are doing well. And uh, you have three? I have three. And uh, my business is a prospect. And uh I've just uh, I've got a lot to be thankful and happy about. I, I I try not to gripe about anything because I've always uh, been taught and always looked at there's always somebody much worse off than you are. And it's not a humble type of just saying this. That's really Mama weird. Mama said that to you when you were a small little boy growing up, didn't she? And she phrased it another way about appreciating what you have in life and how there's yeah, someone else. Yeah, I think I told you one time, once she said to me, she said, uh, I, I think she was, in fact, uh, Snow thinks she was washing one day on, you know, she had the old number three wash tub and all the old lye soap, her hands, she's washing on the rub board and, and, you know, her hands come out looking like uh, prunes, you know, stewed prunes. And, and, and I was, I was just sitting there talking to her by the, by the bench in the, in the wash tub and, and I had a, a an advertisement in a paper. And I looked at it and I said, Mama, I guess I was about eight, maybe years old, probably, maybe younger than that. But I said, there was a, a Ford, a Ford coupe, blue. Oh, my favorite color is blue. And I could just see myself, you know, in that car, you know, and my mother. I said, Mama, you know, if I had a million bucks, I could buy that car for us. And so she stopped washing and she looked at me. She said, you're right. She said, you could buy that car and you could buy a whole lot of things, but there's a lot of people with a million and another million and a bunch of millions would give one or part of all for what you got. Well, when I heard her say that, then I got my little eye just bugged. And I said, what have I got to give all that kind of money for? You know, she said, now just hold up your hands. You got five fingers on both hands. You can see, you can hear, you can run. Said you're healthy. 
So there's some people don't have arms, don't have eyes, they don't have, they can't talk. So now I heard that at a small age, but it was like she was planting a seed. So it, it all comes home once you grow up, you know. And so you just, I guess she just recognized she would just plant enough seeds and hope that they would grow, you know. And, and that, to me, I think they did by me feeling that way because that is the way I feel. I, I'm, I'm, I just don't like the gripe because there's always someone much worse off than I am. So true, Charlie. Rosine, your wife has been a big influence in your life. What, what has she brought to your life, which is so precious? Stability, uh, putting up with me. I mean, I'm not really a easy person to live with. Really? No, I'm not. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I like to say it this way. I'm good and I'm bad. Uh, Are we all? Yes. Uh, I've got, you know, traits that, and you're, it's true, we all don't please everybody the, the way that uh, they would like for us to please them. But we both kind of, we'll be married uh, December 28th for 25 years. And I, I people have asked uh, why we have stayed together that long. I think it's a combination of, first of all, I think we were meant for each other in a sense, and that part of destiny and fate that I don't believe in cut and dried, but I believe that uh, certain things you're here for. And I believe that uh, we were given to one another to be able to, try to do, we both try to do what we want to do, and we try to let one another do what we want to do the best we can under how much each one can take <laughs> until we say, no, that's not a, you know, uh, do something I want to do type of thing, you know. So I think it's a combination of trying to give and take, and uh, I guess we done, we've done enough giving and taking and trying to let one another do enough of one, what one wants to do to stay together this long. Charlie, your, your kids, Angela, Dion, and Craig, have they, do you think, missed out along the way with kind of a closer relationship with you because of your career demands? I don't think so. Uh, you see, Craig started out, he's the oldest. I mean, he saw me punch the clock on both ends. He saw me on both ends of the ladder. And, uh, of course, the others came along when I had started traveling, playing baseball and all. But uh, I was playing baseball even when Craig uh, was born. So I've been kind of a traveling father ever since I've been married and you know uh i don't believe in just the thing about spend you have to spend time 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 with your kids to be uh so close to them and that sort of thing i think that quality of time yes i think that's the thing the quality quality of time you spend with them and and telling them what you believe and plus i believe in heredity too i believe that uh um you know in good stock and i'm not bragging but i think my dad uh of course, he spanked me a lot, and I, I don't do much spanking, but I like to think that I could talk to my kids and hit them every now and then, which I did. And uh, uh, But I think they love me and uh, respect me, and uh, I just try to do like my dad did. I don't tell them what I want them to do, you know, some want them to be some great chemist or doctor or something. I just tell them, like Dion, he's going to be, in my youngest going to be in the music business, definitely. In fact, going to be probably a biggie. Sounds great on stage, too. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm very proud of him and pleased. that. But there again, I never enticed him to go in, in any way in the, into the entertainment field. He just loves it. Right. Now, so my oldest, as I say, going to run the, hopefully, the, the board at the recording studio. And he's working right now as an engineer. And he's done, done some DJ work over in Fort Worth. So he's in that. He's going to be on, I guess, the, you might say, the business administrative end of it. And, uh, of course, Angela, she's just going to be, I guess, my little baby. <laughs> she's 16 now. The way it should be. 
Charlie, success breeds a, a lot of carelessness among entertainers sometimes, booze and pills and drugs and the usual temptations. What's kept you straight for so many years? Well, uh, I've, I'm going to tell you the truth. I really think that a combination of things, first of all, I have always felt that uh, I could become addicted to, uh, um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in astrology, and I believe that as far as my sign concerned, I could be addicted to liquor or whatever in a, in a, in a second, but uh, I don't even take an aspirin tablet. My wife sometimes get, gets a little angry at me when I uh, have a headache or something. I very seldom have a headache, but if I have upset stomach and, and need to take a laxative or something or, or take something to stop um, or diarrhea or whatever, I won't take it. And, uh, and she kind of gets angry at me. But I, I, I tell you, I think really what really helped me, I went to see a movie one time called Man with the Golden Arm. Was, uh, oh, yeah, Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra and Kim Novak. And I realized it was a movie, but I was very young, and I just remember how he was shivering, and, 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 and he needed a fix, and she was taking spoons and knives and forks and combs, anything he could stick his arm in. She locked him in the closet and wrapped him up in the, in a sheet, and he was shivering and all. And so I got to thinking now, why should I go and do something like that? I'm doing okay. I can eat, get me a good meal, and go out and run. In fact, I love sports, so that's my high, and I, I love to sing. So why do I need to mess my mind up if that's the way that stuff does you? So I think that is one big factor that helped me was going to see that movie because I never tried anything. I I don't uh, I don't let anyone entice me to hey just try it nothing like that. Charlie, does competition today bother you at all? A lot of new groups coming on, very strong people like Alabama and the Johnny Lees, and these artists are getting enormous popularity. Does it ever kind of bother you to say, hey, is someone sneaking up and back? No, no. I, uh, again, uh, I think my, my track record speaks for itself in trying to help people. I think it's enough room here for anyone that's got a lot of talent that wants it, and I'm kind that uh, I'm going to be the first one to try to help them get there because... How much, you know, there's, there's uh, four billion and some people on the planet, you know, I'm not... Room for everybody. I think it's that, that, I feel that way. There's enough room here for just, I mean, I, I like uh, <clears throat> all of the new artists that's coming along today. I mean, uh, the Millsaps, the, the people I was involved with. I mean, that's why, again, I, I, I'm so um, uh, in... And in, in, uh, my belief about helping people that's got talent, and, and I'm not going to stop. In fact, I'm fixing to really get into it. I'm, I want to, to develop some more Millsaps and Gary Stewart's and uh, David Sugars. I mean, that's my goal here in the next two to five years. I hope to be involved with quite a number that you're going to be hearing. Oh, that's great. You've done great so far, given us a lot of great talent, Charlie, the past seven, eight, ten years. And I'm sure there's more down the road, as you say. Any plans to do a book? Yes, and uh, we want to try to get it off the ground, as I said earlier when we were talking, hopefully the end of this year and uh, get it done in the next two to three years where I can be young enough, as I said, to to hopefully uh, play myself in the movie about it. You're going to tell all the good and the bad? Yeah. It's all good, though, most knowing you. Yeah. There can't I, be any bad in that. Well, it depends on who's going to be looking. I'm just going to tell what how it was and how I... Got from where I got to here and that sort of thing. Just like I do on stage. I have no gimmicks. I just walk out and be myself. And I'm just me, as you say, right? That's right. That's, <laughs> that's just about the way it's going to come out. Charlie, what's really the best song you feel that you've ever cut? 
that makes you personally happy? Well, uh, it's hard because um, when we were talking earlier, I recorded as we were talking about some things that maybe I didn't want to record at the early part of my career. But as I said before, after about the third or fourth album, I've been recording basically most everything I like. And I like positive songs and uh, Kiss an Angel, Good Morning, something like that, uh, Happiest Girl in the Whole USA and those kind of things. I like positive, happy type songs, but I have sang some songs that were a little bit sad, but it's nice to sing songs that are kind of sad and may cry a little bit because you, that shows you got compassion for your fellow man and other people. But uh, I would have to say I'm not trying to hedge or anything, but I like most everything I do. And uh, You can't the, single one out because they're all pretty close. Well, I do like them. In all the years I guess I've known you, I've never seen you down or angry at any one point in time. And you've been faced with all kinds of things that happen to everybody on the road or in a nightclub or in a performance, from the fans, from the promoters, from the publishers, from everybody who has a part of Charlie Pride's life, and yet nothing seems to shake you. And most important of all, you have one of the most incredible photographic memories for names I've ever seen. Well, um, thank you. I do forget sometimes some people, you know, but if I, sp if I spend enough time, I usually if we've been away and have met in a long time, if we talk enough, we'll usually come back. But uh, I found out early in life that uh, the sweetest thing in anybody's ears is their name. And uh, I've always tried to rem remember people's name and faces because I, I noticed early in my career when I, and I tried to do it. I tried to, at the early part of my career, I tried to remember every fan that I talked to over uh, two minutes. So, and I was doing it, almost doing it. And, uh, I, of course, I overtaxed myself, I think. Uh, at the early part of my career, I had a, a real... Uh, laps you might say in germany i had to i just run myself down you know and i had to stop that tour but uh i just found out early in life that uh people love to be recognized and, and when you say hi lee not hi you hey you there i mean that's I said, personal yeah i mean he's, he remembered me so it's it's i just like to do that because it makes me feel good and like i you know people will come up and say you, you remember me, I'm a nobody. And I never let anyone finish that. I never walk, I never walk away letting them say that to me without making a comment that everybody is somebody. And I try to tell them that even when I was picking cotton, I had the same hands and eyes and feet and the same body back then in Mississippi when I was picking cotton. If I had stayed there picking cotton, no, they wouldn't have, uh, with the same voice, be able to have the ability to do what I'm doing. They might never have heard of me, but I was a pretty good cotton picker. I was somebody. I didn't like picking it, but I was somebody then. I mean, so that's why I try to tell them. I said, I used to milk cows, cut wood. I said, I didn't even finish high school. I said, but I was still somebody then as, as to what you saying I'm somebody now. So uh, think about that for, for seed. And then they say, well, I understand. So that's why I like to come back at them. And there's our conversation with my friend, Charlie Pride. Next week on Country Music Conversations, our guest will be George Strait. Until then, stay safe and 